Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Go Balls 247 podcast. I am Ben McKee here with another breaking news edition because Tennessee has picked up a third transfer on this Monday. Tennessee picked up a commitment from Dante Thornton earlier in the day, a wide receiver from Oregon. They also picked up a defensive lineman in Omar Norman Lott from Arizona State and uh, Ryan Callahan, who is joining me on this one again, as well as uh, we continue to pray and hope that Wes Rucker can survive the the illness that he's dealing with and or, join or us maybe again that he, here soon, or maybe that he can't talk again anytime soon. These are kind of fun. Yeah, uh, and it's always a good thing when Wes can't talk as much as he normally does. But uh, Ryan, the, the thing people actually care about is the fact that Tennessee picked up a third commitment today, and it is at a position of need. No, no question. Uh, this time, Miami offensive tackle John Campbell. Uh, committing to Tennessee, and and this is a this is a big time battle. They they won beating out Florida and Florida State for a guy originally from Orlando, Florida. Uh, spent the past uh, five years at Miami, so a guy that's been in college for for quite some time. Originally back in the 2018 class, uh, was actually involved with Tennessee a little bit uh, at one point in his recruitment. Never really got too far, uh, but a name that was certainly familiar when it when it popped back up on the radar recently uh, as an option for Tennessee. And uh, an impressive win here and, and definitely addresses a, a big-time need, as you kind of touched on. This is a, a position that Tennessee addressed a little bit with the addition of Andre Karik uh, from, from Texas last month, uh, leading up to the early signing period, getting a guy who'd played some tackle at Texas, but who also could project, and I think probably does project ideally, as more of a guard at Tennessee um, but at least gives you that you know kind of swing versatility between guard and tackle. John Campbell, a guy who's maybe a more ready-made replacement for, for Darnell Wright, and that's what Tennessee's been looking for in the transfer portal. So it's a big deal to get a guy like that who has so much experience at the college level, who was a starter this year for Miami at left tackle, uh, gives them some nice options. Uh, I, I haven't spoken with John Campbell, so that's that's one thing about this that's uh, that's interesting. He's a little quieter like a lot of transfers are. We, we've spoken with some of these other guys, have not talked with him, but I'm not sure what Tennessee has told him about the position he will play. So it'll be interesting to see if do they just go with him at right tackle and kind of keep every, everybody else where they were last year, uh, assuming John Campbell is a starter at Tennessee, um, or do they do they consider moving Gerald Mincy over to right tackle and playing Campbell at left where he played at Miami last season? Um, I, I would I would assume they're more likely to kind of keep everybody where where they played last year and just let him play right tackle, but we'll see. Uh, not not sure what those discussions were like uh, through through his recruitment, but it, regardless of where he lines up, a big big pickup for Tennessee because of um, obviously some big shoes to fill there at right tackle with Darnell Wright and just how well he played this past season. Yeah, and to touch on a comment you made there uh, about Tennessee maybe not moving any guys around, 
Uh, let, let's talk about one of the potential tackles that could also uh, move over to, to right tackle because you had a, uh, a a tandem at left tackle because Darnell Wright was holding down the right side uh, with Jeremiah Crawford and, and Gerald Mincy. And I want to talk about Jeremiah Crawford specifically, and, and obviously he, he's not the, the transfer addition uh, that Tennessee made today, but his role next season does impact John Campbell, and, and that's why I want to bring him up. I think it would be best suited for Tennessee to try and move him over to the right side of the offensive line. I think Gerald Mincy is the the better of the left tackles, and I, I think it would be wise to, to move Jeremiah Crawford over to right tackle, uh, allow him to be in a position battle with a guy like John Campbell or anybody else who who steps up and could potentially play that spot as well. Uh, and and then if even if Jeremiah Crawford doesn't win the job, you at least have a a third offensive tackle that can kind of be a swing guy between the left side and the right side. Uh, and you saw that Tennessee needed that this year with Crawford himself. Kind of, I, I feel like he was the third tackle, even though he more so split. Uh, it, the reps down the middle uh, with, with Mincy, but Mincy was banged up and you just never know how injuries are, are going to uh, inflict themselves uh, amongst players throughout the season. And, and you never know when something's going to pop up. So Ryan, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I think it would be wise to move Jeremiah Crawford over to, to right tackle. Yeah. I, I think you might be onto something there. I think for Crawford, for his long-term potential uh, also, he, he to me just looks more like a right tackle. I think that's, that sort of suits his build. Well, and I, and I think Campbell could be a guy that, you know, almost serves as that swing guy himself because he was a left tackle at Miami this season. It might be a situation where, if, say, Gerald Mincy went down, you'd flip Campbell to left tackle and play Crawford at right. So yeah, that, that would open up more possibilities for sure. And that, that's why this addition of Campbell is so big, I think. He's not just a right tackle. Uh, he, he's a guy with that experience at left tackle that's made, um, I think, 16 starts uh, at, at that position at the college level. So to, to have that experience, even if he's not Tennessee's starting left tackle, uh, they need more guys that can play there. Uh, they're, they're still developing tackle depth, still going to have to address that a little bit more in the 2024 class, I think, going forward. But to, to add a couple more guys this offseason who are at least capable of playing tackle and one who's more of a true tackle, I think, in John Campbell, uh, definitely a big deal for Tennessee. So, yeah, that, that would give Tennessee some, some real options there and might give uh, Crawford a – a, a more sensible path to playing time, especially now that Tennessee does have another guy capable of capable of playing left tackle in, in John Campbell. Crawford could kind of make right tackle his own a little bit more. And, and even if Campbell is the starter over him um, and Mincy starts at left tackle over him, that, that could still give Crawford kind of a way to the field uh, if someone goes down that way. And, and I guess you also can't rule out the the possibility of Gerald Mincy moving over to to right tackle as well. But it, it does seem in conversations that I have had that uh, he is far more comfortable on the left side than the right side. So I, I would be surprised. I'd, I'd be very surprised, honestly, if Mincy moved over to the right side of the offensive line. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of making the point, I, I guess you can't all but rule it out. But I would be very surprised if if that happened. What I like most about this addition, Ryan, is the fact that it gives Tennessee another true power five talent along the offensive line. That, that's what this Tennessee football team needs more of to build depth. And the, the offensive line, I mentioned the, the Mincy injuries kind of throughout the season. Even Crawford w- was banged up from time to time. But the offensive line as a whole, they they stay healthy this season. Cooper Mays, who had not been able to stay healthy, he stayed healthy. 
Uh, Jerome Carvin and, and Spragans, we saw them go down here and there, uh, but they were able to play the entirety of the season. Darnell Wright, I mean, you, you just can't even really speak to just how great of a season he had. Uh, and, and the best availability is availability. And he was available for, for every single snap this season. I, I'd love to see a stat of how many snaps he played out of possible snaps he played. I, I've, I would imagine that there, there weren't many snaps this season in which Darnell Wright was not on the field. And the only time that would happen was in blowout games against lesser competition. Uh, but for the most part, Tennessee's offensive line stayed very, very healthy. And looking back on it, in hindsight, Tennessee got very lucky in that regard because after Crawford kind of coming off the bench as that sixth offensive lineman, you, you really didn't have anybody that you that you trusted. You you had Ali Lane. He, he's had to fill in here and there. But I, I think that you would like to, to have some other bodies to, to use. Um, but even outside of Ali Lane, you didn't have anybody. Uh, so I, I think that's the, the most important part of this addition. I don't know how good John Campbell is going to be. I don't know where he slots in along the offensive line from a position standpoint. It looks like it is going to be a tackle. I don't know if he's going to earn a starting spot, but I do know he is a, a very quality power five offensive lineman. And that's what Tennessee needs more of. And even if he doesn't prove to, to win a starting job, Tennessee's offensive line got better because now they have more power five offensive linemen and, and they, they need to fix those depth issues. And this is how you do that. No, no question. And, and yeah, I, you know, I, I'll maybe go a little bit farther and say I, I, I'll i be surprised if John Campbell isn't a starter on this team just because he does, as you mentioned, have that power five starting experience. He was a starter albeit on a pretty mediocre Miami team this season, but was a starter at Miami this year. And if and you're going to get a guy like this in a big-time battle, it's a tough sell to get a guy like that and then not play him. So I, I think he's you're likely looking at a starter uh, for Tennessee this season and, and you're and probably looking at Jeremiah Crawford as, as an underdog in that competition. But you, you kind of touched on it there. I think the biggest thing about this addition might be just how it solidifies everything across the board for Tennessee's offensive line, what they – what they now can do at guard, um, because you know we, we just mentioned three options that are pretty good options, known commodities for Tennessee at tackle. They don't have to count on Andre Carrick now as one of those options at tackle if they don't want to. If they want to just let him focus on guard, they can do that. Until they added a second lineman in the transfer portal who was more of a true tackle, I think Carrick was still in play as a right tackle possibility. So now they can allow him to, to play the position that I think they believe is more natural for him, which is one of those guard spots where he can you know battle to, to replace Jerome Carvin uh, with, with him being out of the mix now. And, and that can allow Tennessee to get its best five on the field much more comfortably, I think. And John Campbell probably will, will be part of that five at least to start the season. So I, I think that is a much better situation for Tennessee overall. You didn't want to have to go into this year. You know, like you said, you've got some guys like Ollie Lane who've who've played in the past, shown they're, they're more than capable, but you, you didn't want to have to go into this year counting on someone like that to be a starter. You know, it's someone that hasn't shown to this point in their career that they are a full-time starter caliber player. Uh, this gives you much better depth, uh, just a much better situation overall to kind of let everyone play in positions that are, that are mostly to their strengths. So uh, I think this is a good situation for Tennessee. They were frankly, you know, pretty fortunate to get by uh, last year with, uh, minimal interruptions, I would say, uh, injury-wise on the offensive line. And, and 
you know, I, I had a lot of concern personally about that left tackle situation going into to this past year. It went, it went remarkably well considering the um, unknowns that you had there in Crawford and Mincy going into the season. And so this year, you know, you, you need more options. You need to make sure that you're prepared in case you don't stay as healthy because most years you often don't. And uh, so, so we'll see if, if this group is able to hold things together and, and keep, keep things kind of going in the same direction they, they went this year. But I think they've got a much better chance now with two transfers to replace a couple really important pieces of that offensive line that they're losing from this year in Carvin and Darnell Wright. I completely agree. I, I don't know that Tennessee's offensive line is going to be as good as it was this season, but I think that it has a chance. And the the main thing that I wanted to point out was I don't think that they're going to be bad. I, I would be very surprised if, if it's a bad offensive line or, or may, maybe not even bad, but an offensive line that is the cause of the, the offense not being able to be successful uh, because they do have, they have plenty of options and I, I don't know that they have any all sec caliber offensive linemen. I, I don't know if they have NFL offensive linemen uh, quite frankly, at this point that there are guys with, with some potential. And, and when I say that I I'm, I'm talking about bona fide NFL offensive linemen, the, the trace Smith, the, the Darnell Wrights, the, the guys that you knew, we're going to be drafted at some point in, in their career. There, there's some young guys who aren't necessarily in the picture just yet that, that could develop into it because they have a nice skill set, but they just need to continue to develop. But they just have a, a lot of solid offensive linemen going into next season, it appears. And, and it looks like they have some versatility that they can play with uh, as well. So I think my final point, is that you're you're adding a guy who has power five experience, uh, as you discussed. He he started this past season at left tackle, uh, and, and then played quite a bit throughout his uh, fifth year at Miami, where he was a redshirt junior last year in 2021. Uh, his redshirt sophomore season, uh, he did not play because he had surgery on his leg, had a, a leg injury. Not not sure exactly what injury, but he did have one that kept him out that season. Uh, and then going back to the COVID season, the shortened one. He played in seven games and made four starts. And, and then even as a redshirt freshman uh, in 2019, he played in 11 games and made two starts. So uh, he's a guy, as you pointed out, Ryan, that has plenty of experience. And now all of a sudden, as it should be, Tennessee never should have been in the situation that it was. It was a product of the coaching changes and recruiting classes falling apart and NCAA investigation cloud hanging over the program. It, it should never be in that situation. And it won't be moving forward under Josh Heupel once he corrects the issue. But this is how you correct the issue, by adding quality power five offensive linemen. And again, I don't know that it'll be as good of an offensive line as it was this season, but I don't think it's going to be bad. And I don't think it's going to be an issue because you do have several guys who are power five quality. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think they, they've done a pretty good job of patching things together in the transfer portal. You know, I think, I think the, the jury is a little more out on, on Andre Karik, but I, you know, the people I spoke with in Texas that were familiar with him were, were, were still pretty high on his potential and, and, and haven't seen him play guard, really, frankly, at, at, at a significant level anyway, uh, to, to really know what he can do there. So if Tennessee does get him at guard and he's a more natural fit there, you know, that, that might end up being, um, you might end up, Get, getting an even higher level of play 
out of him than what they saw when he got in the game at, at Texas, uh, playing mostly right tackle. Um, so, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I, I think what they've added is, is pretty good, all things considered, and, and allows them to, you know, again, p- keep things together. You're probably not going to fully replace everything you had with Darnell Wright and, and Jerome Carvin. The other thing is you just need kind of a bridge to the next generation of guys. You know, they've got some young talent, I think, on the way on the offensive line. And maybe some of those guys will end up being ready this year. You know, I can't rule out that someone like a, a, a Masai Reddick or an Addison Nichols could be ready in his second year to, to, to play a little bit or that, that one of those young tackles, maybe even a, a freshman, although it's unlikely, but maybe a guy like Shamrod Umarov uh, surprises you and is ready to, to, to be a, a sixth or seventh guy on the offensive line this year. You know, you could get some contributions from some of those young guys, but most likely they're not there yet. So this, this gives them some time, allows Tennessee to, to wait on those guys and not have to force anyone into earlier than expected action. And, and, and keep things afloat for now. So I, I think they've, they've managed this pretty well. This is what the transfer portal is for, right? Uh, they didn't have a ready-made replacement for either of those guys. So you go get one. Um, and so they've done that with both spots now. And, and you know, certainly got to point out here too, you know, a lot, I mean, Wes and I uh, addressed this in several podcasts last year. So many questions on, on the checkerboard on GoVols 24-7 about, you know, Tennessee not being aggressive enough in the transfer portal last year. We, we, we tried to point it out. Even this year, we've gotten some of that uh, with people thinking Tennessee's not been aggressive enough. I think now seeing the three commitments in one day, you know, Tennessee's now got seven transfer additions uh, that will be on campus this month uh, to start spring semester classes. So they've obviously been much more aggressive. And, and the biggest part of that is they've had the room to, you know, last year they didn't have a lot of room to, to go out and add guys at midterm. This year they do. And they've they've filled a lot of needs already, and they'll still continue to to tweak the roster. They they might have their own defections uh, in the coming weeks and months, but they they've done a good job of of adding to this roster and filling a lot of needs with guys who will be here this month and go through spring practice, and that's going to give you a much better feel for this team and what they still might need coming out of the spring, as opposed to last year when they had to wait until after the spring to address a lot of their needs, and it made it hard to find quality players. So so I think the any questions people still have about whether this staff is aggressive enough in attacking the transfer portal? I, I think we can put that aside now. You know, Tennessee's at, they added ten guys in the portal two years ago when they they had to just have some guys to to patch up the roster. This year, that you know, already adding seven players, I, I think several of them will be significant impact players too. Uh, that they've done a pretty good job so far, and they're clearly you know still picking their spots, still going after the right guys, and not taking anyone that's not a good fit for them. But they've still done a good job, I think, going out and filling some some needs with some some players who can actually help them this year, and not just uh, not just depth options. Yeah, Tennessee couldn't go out and add a bunch of transfers as the fans wanted them to because of the NCAA investigation. They they were self imposing last spring, holding off on some scholarships, and and that's why you saw them make some additions in the summer. Uh, after spring practice, and now you you just said it, they're they're being picky as they should be. It's just not take everybody who's in the transfer portal. It, it does not work like that. Ninety percent of the players in the portal are in the portal for a reason, uh, likely because they weren't good enough to play at the school that they're coming from, or they had issues at the school that they are coming from. And and Josh Heupel just is not going to bring in anybody just for the sake of bringing in a body they they want to believe that he's a a quality football player uh and somebody that's going to fit in culturally and you're seeing that certainly uh this 
this transfer period as as they return uh, from winter break and, and get ready to begin preparing for for spring practice. So uh, we're overdue for a break, and we still have plenty to discuss here on the Go Vols Two Four Seven podcast. Uh, some things that we need to discuss that surround the team as well. But uh, we'll discuss next where Tennessee needs to go in the transfer portal from here. They have made seven additions, as Ryan pointed out, uh, but I still think that they could use uh, another couple of bodies here and there. But first, we need to pay some bills, and we will do so here on the Go Balls 247 podcast. Hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Go Balls 247 podcast, a breaking news edition because Tennessee picked up a third transfer on Monday. John Campbell from Miami, an offensive lineman. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Ryan Callahan. If you don't mind, please take a moment to go into where you listen to your podcast and leave us a like, a rate, and review. That would be huge for us. We always appreciate your time. And again, that's how you can help us. Ryan, looking ahead. I still think Tennessee needs to make some additions at areas of need. Where do you think Tennessee needs to go from here? Do you want me to list off every position on the roster like I did in the last one? I, I can do that if you want. <laughs> no, I'm 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 going to stipulate that you mention the top two positions that still need to be addressed. Okay, I, I can do that. Top top two. I I think I'll stick with. Uh, well, with cornerback for sure. I, I think that that's one that has yet to be addressed. That I think Tennessee still needs to and and almost definitely will address at, at some point. Uh, you know, not not sure exactly. Uh, you know, how, how long we'll have to to wait to see them uh, address that spot. But I think you you certainly will see them get a cornerback at some point, uh, knowing that that's a I think a more pressing need for Tennessee than safety. Uh, they'll they'll be able to. To, to find someone there and, and, and obviously have, have had a need at that spot for, for quite some time. And I know fans, fans who watch them throughout the season have been just clamoring for secondary options to pop up in the transfer portal. We haven't seen that just yet, uh, but Tennessee definitely uh, in the market for that. And I think w- once they have the right guy, we'll, we'll, we'll try to add someone there. Uh, elsewhere, I, I would probably still go um, – in the long run, I would still go with tight end. I think there's still enough of a need there for a second guy. That t- Tennessee will probably try to find somebody there. I think the only question is what kind of guy, what level of player they will be able to add at tight end as a second body. It will be interesting, especially now with Jacob Warren coming back. I think they might end up having to go for a guy that maybe has a little bit less experience, who's looking for an opportunity 
who could maybe even sit for a year behind McAllen Castles and, and Jacob Warren and, and play a little bit maybe while, while, while getting ready for 2024. But I think just for depth purposes, you, you could still make a really strong case that no matter what type of player they get, they need to take another tight end because there's just not a lot of options there going into this season. So I, I think they end up taking someone there, just a matter of who and what type of player it is. Still think a second receiver is possible too, but I'll go with tight end over wide receiver if I have to pick just a couple. Now let me ask you this. And speaking to that team news that I teased before the break, Jawan Mitchell has entered the transfer portal. I, I think that's an unfortunate situation from Mitchell's standpoint. I think he has all the athleticism in the world. I, I think he could be a a really, really talented linebacker, but he's he's just never been able to piece it together. Uh, between the ears, if I'm being blunt, um, very Jeremy Banks like, and and it's kind of been comical to me. I haven't said this publicly, but I, I thought it to myself all season long that um, Tennessee had both Jeremy Banks and Jawan Mitchell in the same room all season long, and not not necessarily the the, the most influential players that you would like to have in a room in which you are trying to mold the likes of Elijah Herring and, and even Aaron Beasley. I think he really handles his business. I, I know he's had his missteps in the in the past, but seems like he's learned and, and moved on and seems to be a, a real leader, although a quiet one on this football team. But uh, quite frankly, if I'm being completely honest, uh, Jeremy Banks, Jawan Mitchell, both knuckleheads, and both uh, are moving on to the next chapters of their football life, uh, will not be at Tennessee next season. And bef- before I ask you, well, I'll go ahead and ask you, do you think Tennessee should pursue a linebacker in in light that Jawan Mitchell has entered the portal? But also before you answer that, what is your take on Jawan Mitchell entering the portal because honestly, I think it's addition by subtraction. I I think you can certainly make that case, or at the very least, that it's not enough of a loss that it will make a significant impact on Tennessee on the field. I Jawan Mitchell's always been a little bit of a, a interesting player to me on the field. You know, put put aside any uh, maturity or or um, commitment questions you have about him off the field. Um, he just seemed like a guy that, you know, a lot of times he was in the right place, but he just, he didn't always make a lot of plays. He didn't make things happen as much as he should have. And I think that's starting to change a little bit this year, finally, but he's, he's always a guy that the production has not been there as much as, as maybe the um, just understanding of what to do. And that's, that's worth something. There's some value to that for sure. Um, But I still think you need some, some more dynamic linebackers. And the good news for Tennessee is they have some young guys who I think are on the way and offer some upside there beyond uh, the veterans that are likely to be their starters uh, this coming season. So the, the, I think the veteran addition of, of Keenan Peely um, for one is, uh, was kind of made in anticipation of Juwan Mitchell not being back. So my answer would be no, that I, I don't think Tennessee needs to go back to the portal uh, to add someone else. I think they already kind of have their replacement uh, for Juwan Mitchell. And I think the other thing is you don't want to block um, those, some of those young guys that they are excited about having added at linebacker. I think you want to leave room for a an Elijah Herring to, to maybe ascend to a backup role this year. You want to give Arion Carter a chance to find his way onto the field as a true freshman if he shows you he can be ready. Or even Jeremiah T. Lander or Jalen Smith, uh, two guys that I think certainly have some uh, some potential to help Tennessee down the road or uh, early in their careers. We'll, we'll have to wait and see about that, but they like what they've seen from those guys early on too. So 
you don't want to necessarily block those guys by just taking another veteran. You know, they had to take Jawan Mitchell at the time a couple of years ago because they just, they, again, they needed the body. They needed somebody that could play at that position where they had been so depleted. Now the situation's changed a little bit. You can start to see a little more of a bright future at that spot. So I, I would stand pat, and I think they probably will. I think in all likelihood they are done at that spot. But the addition of Keenan Peely, I think, was a, was a pretty savvy one by Tennessee because that was made, I think, in anticipation of this move coming. And, and you know, people kind of scratching their heads. I've seen at least some people scratching their heads about the Juwan Mitchell move and thinking it doesn't make sense. Tennessee needs help there. You know, why would he not? want to stick around and as, as we kind of point out you know I think a mutual parting of ways is kind of the best way to 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 frame that one I think it's a situation where both parties kind of just need a fresh start and uh hope for Juwan Mitchell that he's able to find find somewhere to land on his feet and uh and make the most of his uh final season of eligibility which it's hard to believe he has some left but he, he does after going the <laughs> junior college route and uh, everything else he's done in his career he's still still have one more year and we'll see where he goes I don't think that Inside linebacker is the most pressing need on this roster for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. But with Solon Page also moving on, in addition to Banks and Mitchell, you're going to be really young at that spot. You you really need Aaron Beasley to lead that group. You you need Keenan Peely to come in and and also be a a, a leader rather quickly. Uh, So you have two veterans in that room, and and you're an injury away from having to rely on an Elijah Herring. Now, look, I know Elijah Herring's only going to be a a true sophomore, but he does have the the makeup of a veteran already. He he carries himself far beyond his actual age and carries himself more like a a junior uh, or or a senior. So you you do have Elijah Herring, who serves more as a a veteran and, and leader even for a young guy. But you are one injury away from having to rely on all of those young guys that that you mentioned. So I think if the right one came along, they should absolutely jump at them. But I I do think that an edge rusher, uh, a safety, a corner, I I do think that those are the the more pressing needs, even potentially a tight end. Although I think it's going to be really hard for Tennessee to add a tight end because Mm -hmm. if if they're smart and doing their homework – They'll see Jacob Warren coming back, and Jacob Warren's going to play a lot. They're going to see McCollin Castles and see that he has one year left and that he's going to play a lot. Uh, and then you're also adding Ethan Davis, who did miss his senior season due to a shoulder injury, and we'll see how available he is this season as a true freshman, early enrollee. You, you would think that the injury won't necessarily slow him down because he's had plenty of time to recover, but you you just never know. Um, so I, I do think tight end is a position of need as well. I just think it's going to be very, very hard to add a quality tight end when you consider the fact that they have two veteran tight ends and you would think that the path to playing time, uh, will be rather difficult. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And, that, and that's, that's kind of why I said that I, I, I'm not sure the type of tight end Tennessee will be able to attract. I, I do know that Tennessee has some interest though, and, and has at least kicked the tires on some other guys who who frankly weren't as interested in the situation knowing that Tennessee just brought in a, a one-year guy uh, in McAllen Castles who is at least on some NFL draft boards going into his final year of eligibility. And then and then with Jacob Warren coming back on top of that, uh, unless he comes back and doesn't play, which is hard to imagine, you know, for a guy who was on the fence, you would think he's coming back knowing he's going to continue to play at least the same role that he played this season. So uh, with that being the case, it's, it's hard for anyone that transfers to Tennessee beyond uh, McAllen Castles at tight end, thinking that he's going to play a significant role 
this year with those two around. Uh, you never know how injuries could impact things. But, yeah, you're probably going to have to, if you're taking another tight end, it's it's probably going to have to be a a guy who hasn't gotten an opportunity or as much of an opportunity to play or someone from a lower-level school, um, perhaps. or And it might have to be someone with multiple years of eligibility left, period, um, just to, to, to take a chance on a young guy and see if you can kind of finish developing him where it maybe didn't work out at his previous stop for one reason or another. So, you know, we'll see how badly they want that other tight end, but I think there is numbers wise, a desire to add someone else there. We'll see if it works out. It might end up being a situation where the quality just doesn't meet the need, but I think there's at least uh, enough interest in it that I I'll be a little bit surprised if they don't eventually add a second tight end. It just might not be a major impact guy. That might be one of those rare positions where Tennessee does kind of have to go to the transfer portal for depth, which you do see sometimes, you know, we've seen Clemson go to the transfer portal uh, for quarterbacks that, that are never going to start for them uh, the last couple of years, but that's a smart move. You might have to make a similar move if you're Tennessee, just to make sure you have another tight end and that you're not in a tough spot this year without, uh, without Princeton Fant around uh, that obviously played a lot of snaps for them, but uh, we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah, the, the other point I wanted to make on linebacker, I, I think, uh, one, I, I'm always hesitant to place too much expectation on a newcomer because I know what fans tend to do when that happens. Uh, they, they immediately run with it and, and think this guy's going to be all SEC or you know, freshman all SEC or uh, th- this guy's going to be awesome. But I will say, I, I think Alabama at least had the thought that Arion Carter was capable of competing for early playing time there. Um, and if that's the case, then I don't see any reason Tennessee couldn't ha- have an opportunity for Arian Carter to find his way onto the field there too. Not necessarily as a starter, but I, I, I will not be surprised if, if Carter plays uh, at least a part-time role uh, at linebacker this year, eventually, even if it's not day one, I, I think he's the type of guy that actually could make an immediate impact at that position, despite the, the, the mental challenges that come with playing there. So I, I would say Carter has a real chance of finding his way into the two deep this year. And then we'll see how Elijah Herring, Caleb Perry come along, and those other freshmen. You know that I, I'll be interested in seeing if they if they consider another addition at linebacker. But all indications to me so far have been that they're they're likely done at, at that spot in the transfer portal. I think you've also got to consider, you know, who, who knows what they told those guys in recruiting, but you also don't want to make those young guys feel like they're they're being blocked by any transfers you bring in. That's something you do have to worry about team dynamics and uh, things like that. You don't want to make Make a guy like Arian Carter or Elijah Herring or, or anyone else feel that there's not an opportunity for them to play this year because I think they were told, hey, there's no reason you can't play this coming year. So you don't want to rock the boat too much there. So that's something to consider also. But yeah, I, I think tight end and the linebacker, those will be interesting spots uh, and especially tight end to me, like you said, just kind of seeing who, who can they actually get there knowing that anyone who looks at that spot is probably going to see not not much of a path to early playing time. Hey. Eric Gilbert's available. There you, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A, that was a joke for anybody yep. thinking that I'm insinuating that Tennessee is in the mix there. Uh, B, Tennessee does not need to bring in Eric Gilbert. I can assure you of of that. That young man has bigger problems than football, and he needs to get those straightened out before anything else in, in his life. Um, and I hope that he can do that for for his sake and his family's uh, sake. One last thing before we get out of here, Ryan, this is going to be my favorite thing to discuss on the pod today, and that is the fact that Eric Berry has been inducted or will be inducted. He's been elected to the College Football 
Hall of Fame and will be inducted at a later date. And I love this because growing up in a Tennessee football household, Eric Berry was by far my favorite player. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. I'm obviously only 27 years old, so I, I don't have the the long, lengthy list of really enjoying the, the defensive players from the 90s and, and the early 2000s. I didn't get to enjoy Al Wilson as a youngster. Uh, I was three years old uh, when, when he won a national championship. Uh, but in terms of me growing up following Tennessee football and, and whatnot, Eric Berry is by far the best defensive player that I've seen play at Tennessee uh, and probably the best player in general uh, over the last 15 to, to 20 years, quite frankly. And and he was he was by far my favorite player. I, I wore 14 uh, playing basketball, football, baseball because of Eric Berry. It's it's my favorite number because of Eric Berry. My Twitter name, Ben McKee 14, that's because 14 is my lucky number and, and Eric Berry uh, had a lot to say uh, in in that, and I, I think it's really cool that he's going into the College Football Hall of Fame, mostly because he deserves it as one of the most outstanding football players, not only ever play at Tennessee, but also to play in the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well-deserved honor. I mean, I, I thought it was only a matter of time for him, but I, I certainly hoped that he wouldn't face a long wait to to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the way some really good players over the years have, you know, only so many can make it in each year. And, and sometimes you, it, it does involve a little bit longer wait. So it's uh, good that he gets to, to, to be honored in this way uh, as, a, as a pretty young man, uh, all, all things considered. Uh, you hate that his NFL career has, has uh, ended the way that, that it did, um, that, it, that he didn't get to go out with uh, as long of a career um, for, for health reasons and, and otherwise, obviously, um, that, that were just beyond his control. But uh, but regardless, had an uh, amazing NFL career, too, uh, uh, until the health became an issue and uh, sort of set him back. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is a this is a college based honor. And, and I'm I'm glad to see him getting recognized because I, I did wonder. And, and now I'm I'm getting to the point, I guess, of being old man, almost kind of like Wes. Uh, that Wes and I are the, are the guys on the staff who were old enough to have covered Eric and, uh, and and got to got to deal with him. And that was what was so impressive about covering him is that he he just he carried himself just sort of differently from a lot of the guys you cover just had this maturity about him from day one and uh and and was a big deal but also at the same time never big time to anybody uh was a very approachable guy and, and easy to deal with all the time and and was in some very difficult situations you know went through philip fulmer's firing his second year um third year you know had some fun with uh with lane kiffin and that staff but wasn't on a, a great team that year either um and led Tennessee to an SEC championship game as his freshman year or was certainly part of that run uh, as a true freshman playing quite a bit. So, uh, you know, ha- had, a, had a really, really good college career, but you wondered if that would get overshadowed a little bit because Tennessee wasn't as relevant those last two years. So I- I'm glad to see that it, that it wasn't and that he's still getting recognized at a, at a pretty young age as he rightfully deserves as one of Tennessee's best defensive players ever. I think he's uh, – so there's certainly a strong case for him to be you know, considered maybe the best defensive back ever to play at Tennessee. They've had some some really good ones over the years, but he's he's right up there, and he did some pretty special things at Tennessee, even for some teams that that weren't necessarily competing for championships those last two years. But regardless, uh, a well deserved honor, and uh, it, good to see him getting that. And certainly, I think he will continue to be uh, honored at Neyland Stadium and and probably permanent and temporary ways throughout uh, the coming years as as Tennessee continues to rightfully honor a guy that's. Uh, 
for a lot of guys like you, a, a, a hero to a lot of a lot of people who grew up during that era. I know a lot of people held him in, in high regard, so you're certainly not alone there, Ben. And I think we're going to continue to see a lot of number 14 jerseys uh, for, for a good number of years at Tennessee because of him. Yeah, one of the easiest athletes to ever root for, not only because of how awesome he was as a football player, but because of who he was off the field as well. Um, went through his bo- battle with, with cancer while in the NFL and and was as outspoken as Eric Berry could be. Obviously not a very uh, loud individual, um, but as outspoken as Eric Berry can be, really uh, tried to lift a lot of people up in, in that process. And Wes, I, I'm sour towards the Chiefs because I hate that Eric Berry missed the window of the Chiefs becoming a, a mini dynasty uh, and winning a Super Bowl. Happy for Trey Smith and I'm sure Trey Smith will get a Super Bowl one of these years, but hate that Eric Berry missed that window of being able uh, to to really win a Super Bowl because he was on those Alex Smith Smith teams that were just a quarterback away and and were just so close to winning a championship and was a, a main catalyst in terms of the Chiefs becoming what they are today. And and I hate watching the Chiefs because that's the first thing I always think about when I see the Chiefs is that, man, I really hate that Eric Berry missed that window of winning a championship with them because he was one of their great, great leaders when Andy Reid first got there. Yeah, I apologize for my voice, but I, I have to say this really quickly. Um, Kansas City's an elite football town, and uh, Eric Berry, uh, if you talk to a member of the Chiefs fan base, a lot of them still absolutely beloved in that town. Um, but the only thing I wanted to say really quickly – was that Hendon Hooker this season is the first player uh, since I've been on the beat to approach the level of a player that Eric Berry was. Uh, Eric Berry, as a player, offense, defense, special teams, whatever, just as a football player, uh, was unapproached, really, in in the era that I've been covering Tennessee, which is, I guess, in 2000, starting around there. Uh, Hendon Hooker this season was the only person who's come close to being that damn good. Some, yes. Yeah, and, and some ver- that's that's saying something. I was gonna say some very some very good ones. A lot of a lot of hall of very good players probably from that era. But I, I would agree with that. You know, Derek Barnett, Alvin Kamara, some other guys that were pretty special. But Eric Berry was that one. I mean, and and the most impressive thing to me was that, that he played a few different types of roles in three years at Tennessee. You know, he started off as a cornerback. Um, by the time he finished up at Tennessee. Um, he would, they were using him as almost a linebacker uh, in Monty Kiffin's system, you know, playing him more toward the line of scrimmage and just letting him clean up uh, a lot of plays. And, and he never, never got frustrated with that. Although I'm sure he might have had some different thoughts. You know, some some people did think he was being, you know, maybe not used the the best way possible because he wasn't he wasn't picking off as many passes that last year. But they they wanted him to make a lot of tackles, I guess, and that 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 sort of role allowed him to do that. But yeah, he he was good in, in whatever you want him to do, essentially and played a few different roles really well in three years at Tennessee and uh, just was a, a force to reckon with uh, on defense. And, and I mean, a top five pick in the NFL draft at safety. Uh, there's a pretty short list of guys who've done that over the years. So that, that, that tells you enough about how highly NFL teams thought of him coming out of college. And uh, obviously his pro career backed that up uh, as well with all pro selections and, thing, and things like that. So uh, yeah, a well-deserved honor and, and, and definitely think you're going to continue to see uh, a lot of Eric Berry signage and things like that around Neyland Stadium for, for years to come, and, and rightfully so. One of the all-time greats in Tennessee football, no bones about it. Also one of the first Tennessee football families with the amount of football games that that family has played inside of Neyland Stadium. 
Mm-hmm. That'll do it for this edition of the Go Vols 247 podcast. We have plenty of coverage up on the site of Tennessee's busy Monday, picking up three transfers, and who knows? There's probably going to be more by the end of the week because that's how college football works these days. For Ryan Callahan and Wes Rucker, I'm Ben McKee. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 